You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we've always said, fuck that boulder. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. I'm going to bring in my co-host now, joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, happy, uh, happy uh, Sunday afternoon for those of you listening live. We, we usually record in the morning, but... Uh, Remy knocked the phone slightly ajar on my charger, so it didn't charge, which meant that it died. Uh, and you might be asking, well, how does your phone die? Like, it's so low in battery that it died that the alarm won't go off. Well, I have a friend visiting this week, a, a, a friend I grew up with, James. Uh, um, and, uh, we've been, this is my vacation week, so we've been doing adventures. We've, uh, today we're, uh, we had kickball, of course, because it's Sunday, and then surfing. Um, we've, uh done the electric go-karts we've uh basically had an la staycation done a bunch of cool things in la saying karaoke um hit up with a couple of the dive bars that have pool with some friends that i i love hanging out with and just generally it's uh it justin it's a lot of fun i you know you probably have uh the same same thing with some of your friends this is a, a guy i've known since uh elementary school and we've you know sort of grown together his uh you know um, I've, it's someone who's knows me well because they've known me so long, if that makes any sense. So it's great to have him visit, uh, uh, good spiritual fuel, uh, good, uh, memories this week, but most importantly, we won our kickball game today, 10 to two, a team that we lost to earlier in the season, which means we're in the winner's bracket in our, cause we've started the tournament this week, the finals, uh, for, for the season. So uh, we went from fifth to third place with that win. So uh, we could be taking a podium uh, if we win tomorrow. We're guaranteed first or second. So or not tomorrow, so next week. Well, we're guaranteed first or second. So uh, pretty cool, pretty exciting. The team has grown a lot over over the last uh, over the season. We started out kind of on like a three four game losing streak, and then we started winning games, and now we're uh, in the tournament and looking real pretty. So it's very exciting. So they sent you right to the semifinals is what's happening? Yeah, it's a double elimination. So uh so we we won today, which means if even if we lose the next two games, we're at least in third. So Well, congratulations. That's very cool. I just I'm surprised to hear that you were allowed to do that much in Los Angeles. I, I would think that there would you know, be rules against been, all of those things. <laughs> it's been interesting, you know, uh compliance uh uh uh, you heard the yeah, i already spoiled this but uh compliance is uh spotty here even in la don't need a mask the mask is about compliance as we heard last week and uh it's it's surprising how the signs are all up that say for example in the pool hall where we played pool uh signs all say wear a mask and there are a few people wearing a mask but no one else is <laughs> everyone's playing pool and having a beer and doing what they normally do at a pool hall uh sans mask uh 
same thing with kickball. Uh, it's outdoors, so nobody really has to wear a mask. Uh, a few people do occasionally wear a mask. Um, but there's a sign on the bathroom in the public park that says you have to wear a mask when you go in the bathroom. No one was doing it. No one was complying. Um, I think what's going on, Justin, is a lot of this. So it's kind of a mixed uh, mixed bag here in California because there is some struggles. Like there were things we couldn't do or or uh, just because of time, uh, the increased time because of some of the uh, mask mandate related things. You know, there's still some reduced capacity in certain things that. You know, normally I'd just be like, oh, yeah, let's uh, we, we struggled to find an actual karaoke bar that was open to give you a concrete example, just because I think there with the with the new with the mass restrictions back in place, it sort of makes karaoke bars not able to function. Um, so uh, the one, you know, Yelp said it was open, that it had opened after the mass mandate went away before and we went and it was closed. And uh, so it's like, OK, well, I guess uh, I guess the, you know. The legit, I was going to take him to a legit karaoke bar here in L.A., which there are a bunch of, and nah, couldn't get in. Yeah, well, I think places being closed represents uh, the interesting point we're at with this whole thing right now. And it's sort of unfortunate because I think how many, how many months ago did we declare that we didn't want to talk about COVID anymore in the show and we were done with it, but it's all the news all the time because I think of the interesting point we're at in our culture with this, where it's up to you, the listener, or it's up to you, the average citizen. And, you know, it's up to people beyond the midside. And I think a lot of the stories this week and everything you just said, William point to that. I mean, I, I went to Walmart earlier today and when I walked in, there's no signs anywhere saying masks are required. There, there's no mask requirement uh, from the city, right? This is this one's in Kissimmee, but still, you know, I'm, I'm on the border of Orange County and Osceola County in the Orlando area, and there, there's no legal requirement. There's no mandate from Walmart. But I walk in the building, and the the lady says free mascara, and, and I, I look at her, and I'm just like, no. I'm good. Thank you. And she's like, okay. So they're not trying to get, they're not trying to force people to, to wear masks, but they're trying to get people to wear masks. And there's a subtle difference there, but there's an important difference. And Very if we look important. at the way the rhetoric is being approached now, I think that shows the point we're at in our culture. So William, rather than belabor this in the introduction, why don't we just head into the main part of the show where we can keep talking about that, about this. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. Let's Way to step on it, Justin. (laughs) You love hitting that drop. You love hitting that drop. I love when you step on it because then I can say that. I wanted to say the segment name, though. This is the Life on the Midside segment. <laughs> anyway, if, if you want to sh- support the show, as always, you can do so through Patreon and Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. So just to let you all know, to give you the option to tune out, although I hope you won't, uh, because I, th- I think that we're a safe space. And I say that ironically, but I I think that we're a safe space here where 
I don't know about you, William, but before I even get into the the first the first thing I want to talk about here, uh, when I go on social media, I, I don't I barely I barely go on social media anymore because if if anyone follows me on on Twitter, they know uh, I've been screen capping every so often. I'll read a tweet about covid and then the first tweet is always someone replying saying anyone who doesn't take the vaccine and who doesn't wear masks is basically an asshole who's killing everyone have you seen me do that william yeah yeah it's crazy it's every time so i i don't know about you i can't go on social media because like it's just it's two groups of stupid people yelling at each other i think you summarize social media Uh, i mean i gave up facebook so long ago and uh with my friend james here this week um, you know, he still uses Facebook to connect to people. And, uh, he was, he was laughing at his feed, like looking at all the vaccine discussions and the, cause I was just curious. I was like, what's what's the, what's the pool of Facebook look like these days? And I was just like, oh my God, it's like degenerated even further than, you know, three years ago when I remembered, uh, being on it. Yeah. And I, and I can't imagine what all the podcasts are like out there. I mean, I, I don't listen to any, like I, I listen to Adam and Drew and, and Bill Burr sometimes, but I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, so I can't imagine what most of like, I mean, what must an NPR podcast be right now? And anyway, the point is, I think we're, we're a place where you can come and you can have a pretty reasonable discussion with us. You know, you can join our discord to talk to us, but also, I mean, when I lift, I'm listening to Adam and Drew and I'm having a discussion with them. They say something. I like it. I don't like it. I think that in my head, uh, you know, I think about, oh, what are the good part, parts of what they said? What are the bad parts of how they said? How do I actualize that in my life? So I think as we go through these stories, you know, this is all COVID. We're going to talk about COVID here because there was a lot this week that, that stuck out to me about, you know, immediate personal experiences and then broader cultural stuff that I, I read and came across. And if you want to tune out, go ahead. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't hate you for it. I understand it completely. But I do think that for those of you who are looking for a place that, hey, there are reasonable people here, there are rational people here, I-, I hope we're providing that for you. So the first thing I want to talk about here, William, is I teach at Osceola Public Schools, but Orange County Public Schools did something very interesting Friday evening. And I say Friday evening because it was like 5 p.m. And, w- and what they love doing around here is, and I don't know if this happens at other public schools, but the superintendent for the district, whatever district, if they have, you know, something to say, they'll call and they'll leave voicemails if you don't answer the phone or if, if they uh, if you answer it, it's a recording. So the recording will either leave a voicemail or the the recording will talk to you. It's the superintendent talking to you, whatever announcement they have for your school district. They also can send out text messages as well. So what happened was somebody I know who has a, a child in school in the Orange County Public Schools sent me the fa- or the I was going to say Facebook, the the iPhone transcription, you know, the visual voicemail of that. And this is insane. This this is insane to me. This ad, let me give you a little context. As I've said, since the spring, DeSantis has outlawed mask mandates in Florida. Now, that doesn't mean private institutions, private companies can't have mask mandates, right? We know Disney World, if you go in a building, you have to put your mask on. But any publicly funded, taxpayer funded, government, institution or building cannot have a mask mandate. Now, recently, DeSantis has come out and said, He will not allow mask mandates in school because he wants to preserve the choice of the parents. Well, listen to what Orange County is saying. 
This is a message from Superintendent Barbara Jenkins. I don't have the the audio, so I'm just going to read the transcription. A newly adopted rule by the Florida Department of Health, which is also available on our webpage, details that parents must be given an opt-out choice if face masks are required by the school district. I want to acknowledge parents who are passionate on both sides of this debate, and I realize that neither group will be fully satisfied at this juncture out of an abundance of caution for the safety of our students' employees, and after consultation with our health expert and school board members, I am implementing required face masks for all students unless the parent chooses to opt out of the requirement. Opting out means sending a simple note with your child on the first day of school, such as, I am opting out of the face mask requirement for Johnny. Include your signature. The student may give the note to the teacher on the first day of school. This mandate is effective for 30 days beginning Tuesday, August 10th. We will continue to monitor the situation with our local experts and make a determination about how to proceed before the 30 days have expired. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. William, there is just so much that blows my mind about this. So the first thing is the logistics of this. How are they going to know that it's actually the parent writing and signing this note? Can't all the kids just forge notes now? Well, isn't that what you do when you have a permission slip for a field trip? You just forge the signature and turn it in? Right. So that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen, I would think. Well, for the older kids. kids. I would hope. Yeah, for the older kids. Yeah, I would hope. Right. I would think for the older kids. The second thing is, if I give my first period teacher a a note... How is my seventh period teacher going to know that note's good? Do I need seven copies of the note? And then the final thing is, this whole concept of a note, William, I would be very hard-pressed as a parent to not print out copies of the Constitution, sign that, and tell my kid to give that as the note. Because here's the thing. Based on this logic, choice must be preserved. Can't we just say you need a note to opt into this, the Second Amendment? So if you're carrying a gun, you need to not only have a permit, but have a note saying that you've decided to opt into the Second Amendment because you've decided to exercise your choice, right? Do, do you need to carry a note to say, I need to exercise my choice of free speech every time you talk? I mean, this is this is basically one step away from a vaccine passport, William. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I think it would have been better, more principled to say we're requiring everyone to notify us which choice for your child so that we can properly, you know, administer that choice. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like everyone right, should, but they on want, the first day of school, right. you, you, you parent must by then have told us whether you're saying my child should have a mask or should not have a mask. Because but they remember, they're the taking default. over custody. Yeah. Do I want a default? I'm saying without a default. And you're saying right. you must make a choice on that first day. Right. Or by that right. first day or whatever. Right. But I'm saying they want the default to be wearing masks. Be yeah. But the default should be the state of nature. And this actually is going to build towards the last story I have here. A question of what are rights and what are our rights. Right. The default to me should be a state of nature. You are not born with a mask on. A mask is something you have to choose to put on. So you should not have to give a note saying I'm choosing not to put on something. Do you understand my logic? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking in the context, like, 
for some reason, I keep thinking about elementary students, right? An elementary kid, especially, there's this really strong custodial aspect, right? Because we've seen this having schools have had problems with this before, um, you know, doing things that parents wouldn't consent to to elementary school students, right? Like requiring them to do certain things or participate in certain activities, like think like sex ed or things like that, right? Like th this was a problem in the eighties, right? Um, so, you know, are we forgetting our history? Did we not remember how that worked back then? You should have to opt, like you were saying, you should, you should say everyone, all parents must make this choice so that we can enforce it or, or, or not enforce. That's kind of the wrong word, right? But so that we can implement it properly for your child, according to your wishes. The argument though. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. Okay. I get what you're saying. Let me say it a little bit differently. What you're saying is. The school is only acting as a caretaker. So they want to know what the parent wants for the child so they can reinforce the parent's wishes for each child. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. They should implement okay. the choices of the parent. Where, where... Right. So it shouldn't be about a mask mandate or not. It should just be like, how do you want us to deal with the mask for your kid? And then you can say... You know, as they get older, at what age, maybe it's in high school, you start letting the kids choose for themselves or things like that. But I think this is more insidious than that way. I get what you're saying. And I think from a rational standpoint, that's the best they could do as a middle ground. But I think this is more insidious than that. I think they're 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 trying to normalize wearing masks. They're trying to normalize it and they're trying to do it in a way to go against DeSantis. So they're saying, DeSantis, you want choice? OK, well, we're going to we're going to make it so you need to. Tell us you're choosing to exercise your freedom. Whereas in this country, we have freedom set up as the, the, the normal state of affairs. It's not something you choose to exercise. It's something you can exercise no matter what. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Because they're, they're saying, oh, DeSantis, you're saying they they have to have the choice? Okay, well, then we're going to say you have to keep masks on, but there's a choice not to wear a mask. Well, I'm going to use a better example than the guns. What about seatbelts? Can I just give a note to the cop saying I choose not to wear a seatbelt? And how does this apply? How does this apply to the, the, uh, the employees? Why do the employees all have to wear masks? Why can the kids, because they have other caretakers... Have the caretakers, their parents or guardians, say that they don't have to wear a mask by giving a note, but the adults who are their own caretakers are forced to wear a mask because they're employees. Because their contract is they're getting paid, so they make it a term of the contract? Yeah. yeah. Now, this is, again, a public institution, right? With a private company, they should be allowed to do that as uh, if they want to or not. But to me, William, and like I said, this all builds... To me, this is all part of the misinformation campaign. I think we are shifting here. We are shifting away from using government force to using social force. We're using propaganda yeah. and we're using shame to control people. So the first thing is, did you see this story? I mean, obviously you did because I put it in the outline here, but I don't know if you saw it before I, I posted it, but. There was the uh, there was this UK United Kingdom fitness enthusiast who died at 42 and he wasn't vaccinated. And the quote from the headline is he was the fittest, healthiest person I know. But the crazy thing is, if you read the article. 
and, and Christine pointed this out to me. If you read the article, his sister who tweeted out he was the fittest, fittest, healthiest person I know actually tweeted out that he has asthma or he had asthma rather. So, okay, this is this is pure propaganda. William, you're going to sit here and make a headline. He was the fittest, healthiest person I know. And then you're going to bury within there that he has asthma. This is all intended to just make people afraid. So they make the choice you want them to make. And I don't even know at this point. I think getting people to take the vaccine at this point is just a compliance thing. It's just a compliance thing because I think for a lot of people, and don't get me wrong, there are people who the vaccine is a good thing for, right? Like if I was in my mid 50s to, you know, early 60s, or, you know, if in my 40s I had some type of heart condition, I would take the vaccine. But I don't. So for a lot of us, I don't think the vaccine makes a difference but they still are trying to get compliance by creating stories like this to make us doubt ourselves and make us think mm. oh well you know this could affect you yeah we see them using a lot of fear and guilt and manipulation rather than reason and logic i think that's the part that bothers me the most i, I understand what you're saying about they're seeking compliance and that's true you're looking at it from the they're trying to remove your choice right and i think i'm yes. coming at it from a slightly different we're, in, we're arriving at the same place i'm coming at it at a slightly different angle i'm saying they're not dealing with me as a human they're not oh, I agree completely. reason and logic and Correct. unmanipulated facts they're giving me propaganda guilt and fear well, because they can't. In this specific case, they can't. Something I've taken to saying over the last couple of weeks or so is, if this was the bubonic plague, I would be all in on everything they're saying. I would be staying home. I would be wearing a mask if I had to go out to buy things. I would be vaccinated, right? I would not have gone outside until I could get vaccinated. If this was a legitimate plague or pandemic, I would. Now, does this virus exist? Yes. But if we look at the statistics of who it affects and who it doesn't and what the death rate is and everything, and again, I still think it's highly suspicious. The U.S. is what? in the They're the number three country in the world who who has this? That doesn't make sense to me. If you look at the case amounts and the deaths amount, it's never made sense to me. It, it, it just it just doesn't it just doesn't add up that like somehow the disease was designed to target Americans. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Now we can start getting into the whole population things and everything and all of that. And maybe there's some sense maybe there. Maybe we're more but, mobile. I, but yeah, even yeah. that, you know, there's other countries that are equally as mobile as we are. Right. And China's numbers aren't released or anything. Right. So we don't have legitimate statistics on this. We don't have statistics that tell us that this is worth being this afraid and this uh, well, shamed about it, this guilty about it. And that's the thing. They're trying to do it in direct opposition to reality. And that's why they have to rely on fear. And that's why I'm saying it's a compliance test. I agree with you completely, William, because you were, look, look at all the things you said at the, t at the top of the show, right? I see a huge difference between the conversation being had in the media, both, both traditional and social media, and the conversation just in general around the virus, and when you go outside and live your life. And I think that's what you went through today, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, there's been time, there's been multiple times this week where uh, I haven't had a mask. In other words, like, I, I realized, like, 
oh, we were doing a bunch of things, a bunch of fun things outdoors. Oh, let's run in and grab, you know, something really fast. Oh, crap. I don't I have my mask with me. Where's my mask? It's not in the car. Yeah, I left it at home. We didn't need it, right? We were going to the beach. We took the dogs to the beach and was running around. I was like, oh, crap. Okay. Yep. We're technically supposed to have a mask to go into the 7-Eleven. Oh, well, we'll just go in the 7-Eleven and see if they yell at us. And they didn't. There's, they don't care, right? Right. Well, that's the thing that makes me feel good, that it seems like most people are waking up to this, which is why, you know, it's crazy there are people who are still peddling this stuff, this fear-based stuff. I mean, the only place I have to wear a mask is Disney Springs, and it's inside. And really, the only place I go into Disney Springs often is I go to AMC because I have the, you know, the Stubbs A-list where I can do three movies a week, and I usually, you know, we go to one movie a week. Um that's how I can review all the movies on the show, by the way. The, the Patreon and local support is is helping me pay for that so the show can keep going. So I appreciate that. Um, and I, they, give me a, they give me a mask. They give me a mask because I know the CEO of AMC. We know from the beginning, right? He was one of the first who tried to say, oh, we don't need to mask in our theaters. And then people told him, oh, no, there need to be masks. And then he said, okay, uh, you have to wear a mask. But if you're eating or drinking, then... You don't have to wear a mask. And then it's only $5. We're going to lower our price of our popcorn. Our large popcorn is only $5. So he was basically saying, give me an extra $5 and you don't have to wear a mask. But the other thing is, look, the mask mandate's back in Disney Springs. If I put on that mask when I'm walking to the movie theater, when I'm walking to the exact theater I'm in, and I take it off when I sit down, nobody comes in and checks for the masks. Nobody else around me says anything. It's largely for sure. It's I wouldn't even say largely. It's completely for It's completely for show. performative. It's performative. I mean, I take it off when I'm in the bathroom. I Look, I even will take it off when I'm walking around, and it's only when I see security that I put it on because I don't know if they're going to do something. And, you know, I don't – if I'm going to be here for the rest of my life, I don't want to be banned from AMC. for that, <laughs> for, from AMC because I didn't put a piece of cloth on my face. But that's also the point. That's the fear, right? Yeah, but that's the fear. That, yeah. and, and here's the thing. I think, William, we've started to see a turn here, and I've start, I think we've started to see the proverbial mask come down from the people who are pushing this really hard. And there were a couple of uh, stories this week that really stuck out to me mm. that I was like, wow, they're really revealing what they're actually going for here. So the first was in the New York Times, Paul Krugman wrote an article. It was called Freedom Florida and the Delta Variant Disaster. Of Hold course, on. this it's came not up. the Delta Variant. It's the Delta Force Variant. The Delta Farce Variant, correct. Yeah. In our world, but in Paul Krugman's world, is the Delta Variant. But yes, the Delta Farce Variant Disaster. Uh, and of course, this came across my desk, my computer, my screen, whatever you want to say, because of the Florida connection. But this is the entire point. William, didn't I say before the pandemic, before I even moved... That I was like, there's a, a propaganda campaign. There's a disinformation campaign about Florida. Did I not even? Did I not say that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it has it has amped up over this pandemic, and this article was a perfect example of it, talking about how bad it is in Florida, how bad the numbers are, and how because it's it's how messed up Florida is. And, and I'm going to read a couple paragraphs that I thought really stood out to, to show what's going on here, to show what is going on here. So let's talk about what the right means when it talks about freedom. By the way, I don't like, and I'm going to say it aside here, William, I do not like that everything is couched as right versus left. Oh, yeah. I am not How in the boring. right. Yeah. Right. I am not in the right wing 
because I am pro-freedom in this case, right? Yeah. As we've said before on this show, if it's truly my body, my choice, why does that apply to abortion, but that does not apply to medicine? If, especially if we're saying abortion is a medical procedure, why does it apply to that medical procedure, but not this medical procedure? And That's a left-wing say, position. You can't say that having or not having a child doesn't affect others, according to their own logic. But, hey, internal <laughs> consistent logic is not what we're going for here. Isn't that the ultimate, like, if you're talking about, like, disease spreading vectors isn't a new child the ultimate version of that like don't we say child like carry like children everywhere like carry dirt just, like yes they do that, that they're like infection machines if you've been around yeah. any anybody from age zero to about age eight they're just like they're constantly sick and spreading germs and you know bringing home colds and ear infections and yeah okay so let me go back to this So let's talk about what the right means when it talks about freedom. Since the pandemic began, many conservatives, fuck you, Krugman, have insisted that actions to limit the death toll, social distancing, wearing a mask, and now getting vaccinated should be matters of personal choice. Uh, I think, William, on the show, we also pointed out that there are other methods that could limit the death toll that could be used, such as identifying who the most vulnerable populations are and figuring out the best methods to protect them. Like, perhaps we have a lockdown for the most vulnerable, and then we say the rest of us are going to help them out. You know, oh, they need their food delivered? We'll bring it to them. Oh, you know, we need their supplies limit. We'll bring it to them. We will take care of them. That would be a true value basis. I think we talked about that in the beginning, didn't we? We did. And we also talked about identifying. uh, We talk about super spreader events, but the actual super spreaders. Right. And the example, just in case you're a new listener or or need to freshen up. The example I gave was during the initial uh, uh, HIV epidemic before it was even identified. There was some flight attendant that was like the source of like thousands of infections, right? And figuring that out and why that happened and what was the behavior and circumstances in that case was important in figuring out what HIV was, how it was transmitted, all of those things, right? So figuring out, oh, this particular, like this kind of, think of it as like profiling, criminal profiling, right? You're saying, hey, these kinds of people, if they behave certain ways, could end up being quote-unquote, super spreader people, right? Super spreader individuals, super spreader sets of behaviors, and then start communicating that out and say, hey, if you're a person, you know, whatever, if you're a, if you're a, a person traveling and doing X, Y, and Z in the case of COVID, this is this could be a problem. These are the, the precautions you should take, right? Communicating about that. In other words, being open about what we know and, and on how it's spread and what uh, circumstances can cause uh, a person to become a super spreader. Right. And maybe maybe we could have said, you know, rather than everyone shut down and here are the ones that stay open. Maybe we could have said, here are the ones that shut down and everyone else stay open. Any number of these things could have been done. But notice how that wasn't allowed to be held or said or that position be held. So now we've slowly crept and they create this dichotomy. They the the. They insisted that actions to limit the death toll, social distancing, wearing a mask, and now getting vaccinated should be matters of personal choice. So now we're in this rudimentary, childish, I'll even say, dichotomy between limiting the death toll and personal choice, when that was never what the conversation yeah. we wanted to there's have no from the beginning. To, it, Justin, there's no answer to that other than fuck Correct. Paul Krugman, right? Right. That It was right. always, it always, whether or not 
he like it's a it's a completely false dichotomy. It is a matter of personal choice, right? Right. It, it objectively is what I like. It is a hundred percent under my control. My body is a hundred percent under my control, and right. if I choose not to do things that you want me to do, sure, judge me, uh, criticize me, uh, persuade me, cajole me, but not. Or else I will kill you. And what I mean by that is the government, whenever it mandates something, it is do this or else I will kill you, right? Or else we will kill you. That's what it means. They're, they're right, that, and that goes back removing to... Removing the choice. Right, and that goes back to the Orlando mask, or the Orlando, the Orange County Orlando mask mandate, quote-unquote. You know, the, 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 back, the, the backdoor mask mandate. Where, well, that sounds kind of weird, but that, that's not what I meant. Get your head out of the gutter, William. Man. Get your head out of the gutter. Man. <laughs> yeah, but but the backdoor mask mandate where, man, I was going to call this the mask. No, I'm still calling it the mask. No, I mask think the backdoor mask mandate. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I'm going to change it. Uh, uh, the make, sure you accidentally, make sure to accidentally put two spaces between mask and mandate so it becomes the backdoor <laughs> mask mandate. So a space between man and date? <laughs> no, I was saying an extra space between <laughs> mask and mandate so that you say or a comma or something. So they have put a pause. The backdoor mask mandate. But isn't it funnier if you do backdoor mask and then man space date? <laughs> yeah, that's funny too. <laughs> uh, um, you can't put a comma in, in, in titles, I don't think. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Uh, um, a dash. Yeah. This goes back to that because, as you said, body autonomy is you just naturally don't have a mask on. And that's what's crazy about this is the example he uses, right? Look at how he, he fits this in, right? Does that position make any sense? Well, he, 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 he creates a false position for them to fall into and then says it doesn't make any sense. So he's basically arguing with a straw man at this point. And now here's the example. Well, drunk driving is also a personal choice, but almost everyone understands that it's a personal choice that endangers others. 97% of the public considers driving while impaired by alcohol a serious problem. Why don't we have the same kind of unanimity on refusing to get vaccinated, a choice that helps perpetuate the pandemic and puts others at risk? Because here's the difference, William, and let me know if I'm not hitting the essential part of this, but I think this is the essential part. You do not naturally have alcohol in your system. You have to make the choice to put it in your system, drink that much to be intoxicated, and then get in a car. Whereas this he's saying, just simply by existing and going out in the world, you are the same as a drunk driver. Yeah. And that's not the way it works. That's not, yeah, especially, that's especially, and I'm going to harp on this point, especially when you look at the numbers of this pandemic. Right? Maybe if this was the bubonic plague... He would have a point. Maybe that would be accurate. Right? If it was this contagious and this deadly, yes. But it's not even as deadly as drunk driving. It's not. So I, I would, I, I was going to try and see if I could pull up on Wolfram Alpha uh, a graph of drunk driving deaths. Um, just to like put on, put on top of a graph of COVID deaths. Uh, I, I think the... I think you're hitting the essential point. I, when I think about the, the, the pieces missing there is in order to be the same, in order to, for this, like this analogy to work, even with 
Krugman's internal logic. What the mask mandate and the vaccine, like forcing people to get a vaccine, would be the equivalent of forcing everyone to install the blood alcohol breathalyzer onto the ignition thing, onto the cars, onto all cars. Dude, I saw that article this week. Right? Like, that would be the equivalent of the mask and, and vaccine mandates. Not that we make it uh, illegal to drunk drive, right? There was an article. August 2nd, U.S. Senate bill seeks to require anti-drunk driving vehicle tech. So every car, a, a $1 trillion infrastructure bill under debate by the U.S. Senate, this is an article from Reuters, includes a provision that, I googled this right away, so th- I didn't even have this pulled up. For anyone who thinks I had this pulled up, I didn't. Directs U.S. regulators to mandate a passive technology to prevent intoxicated drivers from starting vehicles and avert more than 10,000 deaths annually. On one hand, they're being consistent with this logic that we're all threats to each other. But on the other hand, what are we communicating, William? We're communicating that we're all threats to each other. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Continue with what you were saying. No, no, I, I, I think that's my point. Uh, that's my point exactly. Is it, we're we're breaking the analogy because then I was trying to think the other way around. So then, what would be the equivalent of making drunk driving illegal or increasing penalties on people who, you know, wreck their car or wreck into others and hurt others while under the influence? Um, and I'm not sure I have a good answer for that, but it's. Uh, you know, William, the real analogy is not to stop drunk driving. OK, I'm yeah. going to give you the real analogy here. The real analogy here is it's a really easy analogy. And I don't know why he's he. I know why he's not saying it. He's he's not saying it because if you said the real analogy, people would be up in arms about it because the real analogy here is drunk driving kills 97 percent of people or 97 percent of the public considers drunk driving while impaired by alcohol a serious problem. Right. And that it's a personal choice. But the driving is not the issue. In the equation of person, car, alcohol, what's the issue? The alcohol. Yeah. yeah the, that is yeah. something you put in your system. If we shamed people about drunk driving the same way we shamed people about the vaccine, we would shame people about drinking. We would yeah. say, why are you drinking? What's wrong with you? You go think about it this way. We say you can't go people who go to gatherings and unvaccinated are jerks, right? MC Lar tweeted MC Lars tweeted out today. Uh, anyone who's unvaccinated, please don't come to my concerts this fall, you know, and respect the safety and health of the, the people who come to my concerts. Imagine if we treated bars the same way, because isn't a gathering of people who are unvaccinated just a, a people who don't drink alcohol? Well, we don't say the same thing about, oh, my God, you go to this this bar and put a foreign substance in your body that harms your body and hurts your litter and changes your cog- your, your liver and changes your cognition. It's to say that's the, the metaphor, but he won't say it because it's about what you put in your system. And it's worse. They're saying you get in a car when you're driving drunk. That's a problem. They don't say you can't walk around drunk, although they, they do say that you can't be public intoxicated. But here they're saying if you're if you don't put something in your system, then you are you can't do anything. They want you to just stay home. Yeah. So before we get to that, that's the last story. 
But he has one more paragraph here that really leads into the next story. And really, to me, William shows what's going on here. Okay. My answer is that when people on the right talk about freedom, what they actually mean is closer to dun dun dun. And, you know, the drum roll was me. Defensive privilege, specifically the right of certain people, generally white male Christians, to do whatever they want. William, if I'm wrong, correct me, but statistically, aren't minorities, specifically black slash African-Americans, whatever term you want to use that's least offensive, aren't they among the least vaccinated statistically? I think that's true. And also, uh, I was going to say this. I am still privileged in some way. Yeah, so I guess asking for your own body autonomy is a privilege. But uh, it's I, and it's it's funny. I'm, I'm again. I keep going back to the drunk driving. Like it's something like eighty percent of drunk drivers are men, right? I don't know if they break it down by race because that would probably be offensive. Um, at least I can't find any uh, breakdown of race. Um, so just to, just this analogy is quickly breaking down is all i'm saying well this is just social justice is this not just social justice this argument that when people oh, talk no, about freedom hold on. i think you're i think you're being um charitable and making a huge mistake by calling it an argument it's not a, even an argument it doesn't follow a structure of logic it is a um uh a disconnected from reality abstraction right whenever you talk about well this this is an expression of your privilege you've all you've you've already left the realm of logic and reason and you're on some other astral plane of not dealing with reality and not dealing okay. with with thinking okay so tactic this is a social yeah, justice tactic. tactic that that yeah right it's an, it's an argumentative tactic a, well it, a, i wouldn't a, even a say if, if... tactic Right, it's a persuasive tactic. It's not argumentative, right? It's rhetoric, not not. It's not a syllogism, right? It doesn't follow the basic yeah. form of an argument. It's right. rhetoric. So, okay, I accept your your criticism of of my characterization of it, but my point still remains. My point is, the same tactic is being used, and I've said this before, and this it's being laid bare now. The same tactic is being used to get people to comply about the masks, to comply about the vaccines about the lockdowns that is used to get people to comply about social justice. And thus yeah. it's not a coincidence that the George Floyd protests and all of those black lives matter protests happened at the same time. People were being fed the message and, and, and locked inside. It was no surprise that that was the way they were going to, you know, I'm saying if we look backwards you know i said at the time something's gonna happen i don't know if you remember this i said at the time something's gonna happen you can't lock all of us inside and keep our energy inside without something happening and it did i didn't know it was going to be that but looking backwards it had to be that you you're hitting people with this kind of messaging freedom means privilege anyone who doesn't want to work for the greater good it's just about preserving their privilege that's all it is it's their privilege to be able to act on their own and individualistically And they're applying that to the virus as well. Unless you treat this virus as if it's going to kill everyone immediately and get vaccinated and do what we say, you are acting in privilege. It's the same kind of argument. Same kind of tactic. Sorry. Yeah, it is. I think it's it's it it is 
you know, in one level, it's innovative and new. In another level, it's you know, when we think about the, a little deeper philosophical issue, it's it's ultimately that attack on individualism and, um, you know, choice. Back to what we were talking about earlier in the show about how folks need to be able free to choose in order to pursue their values and that they should do so selfishly. And it's attack on that as well, right? You should live for the greater good versus, Hey, I have a life and my job is to live it. And I have a theory about that, William. And I have a theory about that. And I want, I want to, I want to hear what you think about my theory. So this leads into the, the last article I want to talk about that I saw. It's from the Atlantic. It's called unvaccinated people need to bear the burden. And now, now we're starting to see where I'm getting where I'm getting to. Think about that title. On, think about that title in context of what I just talked about. Mm. So they're saying people who want to be individuals, people who want to protect their privilege, need to bear the burden. That's what the code is there, right? That's what the code is. Now, here's a paragraph from this article. This article is basically talking about how you know transmission happens in airports, and there's a lot that you always already have to comply with to get on an airport. Flying is not a right. And the case for restricting it to vaccinated people is straightforward. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there. William, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of natural rights, locking in natural rights, of which the United States is based upon, is that anything a man can do in a state of nature, he is free to do. Now... In a state of nature, if you don't have any resources, can you fly? No. But, William, if you create an airplane and you allow me to fly on that plane in a state of nature, couldn't I do that? Yeah, absolutely. So then is flying not a right? Sure. It definitely is a right. Freedom of movement is a fundamental right. Right. And the method is a right. Right. Now, you're, you're not free to use that plane and crash into the World Trade Center because that then becomes an attack on someone else. Right. right? That's using it to harm other people and it's using it to take away their rights. But the, to say that flying is not a right. No, you don't have a right to fly in whatever craft you want if it belongs to somebody else. But if you want to build an airplane yourself and fly or you want to contract with someone who builds an airplane, if you want to get on Richard Branson's flight to space, if you want to go up with Jeff Bezos and he lets you, you're free to do that. That's yeah. what this country's founded on. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, uh, I, wh- then where, this- even, where does this even... It, I, I guess it is straightforward once you uh, accept the premise that it's not a right, but the, what, what's the argument for it not being a right? Well, that's what we just talked about. The idea that uh, we're all in this together, and if you're not willing to give up your privilege to protect other people... You don't get your rights. Rights are only given to you. They don't exist. That's the premise they're coming from. Yeah. So let me continue. Well, uh, okay. I want to talk about their TSA analogy at some point, too. Yeah, we will. It's all part of the same thing. Let's get through this paragraph. We'll talk about that. It's all part of the same thing. Cool. The federal government is the sole entity that can regulate the terms and conditions of airline safety. Okay. First of all, that's a lie. They've made it that way. And second of all, that goes directly to what you're saying about the TSA, William, right? Yep. How's that related to the TSA analogy? Because the TSA is security theater, and it always has yes. been. I've told this yes. story many times on the podcast. <clears throat> and uh, at the risk of uh, um, committing a felony, 
I 100% of the time get objects that are not allowed through TSA security to my destination. I believe I showed Justin one of those objects uh, when we were uh, um, at the bachelor party. Uh, it's yes, it's easy. It's not. I'm not doing anything uh, using my uh, super duper hacker skills or anything like that. It's to me. It's I. I wish they would catch the items because then I could feel safer. But yeah. much like uh, I think it's Bruce Schneier, uh, security researcher. He always has pointed out, like, this is complete security theater, completely ineffective, um, does not do what uh, what it's intended. It's a huge waste of money, and it's a violation of people's rights. Yeah. Well, and I, I, can, I can back that up, William. When you told me and you showed me the item, I wasn't surprised because uh, I have a relative who used to work for the FAA, and he, he would go, like, and test the security. Like, he would go and, and see if he could get things through, and you don't even want to know the things he was able to get through in, in that capacity. So, I mean, you're 100% correct. And that even goes to the next sentence. And although air filtration systems and mass requirements make transmission of the coronavirus unlikely during any given passenger flight, they have accepted the theater right there. Masks and air filtration don't—air filtration more than masks, but they're not making anything unlikely or any—they're not doing as much as you think. Yeah. Infected people can spread it when they leave the airport and take off their mask. Think about that for a second. So then if you're infected, you either have to stay in the airport and keep your mask on or stay home and keep your mask on. The whole point of international travel bans is to curb infections in the destination country. To protect itself, the United States still has many restrictions in place. Yes, and remember... When Trump tried to say, I'm going to ban travel from China, what did everyone say it was, William? It was racist. Right. Because we have this idea of equity, and this goes back to what Paul Krugman said, right? When, when Krugman was talking about, I'm trying to pull up the outline here. When he was talking about, you know, um, that actions to limit the death toll, social distancing, wearing a mask, and getting vaccinated, when he was saying those are the only possible options, he was saying those are the only equitable options. And yeah. that's the same thing here. You have to either put restrictions on everyone or no one, because otherwise that's based in privilege. So equity requires everyone suffer the same or not. And the fact that we're even talking about not suffering the same would be considered coming from a privileged place. Even yeah. though, even though, William... If you legitimately told me there was a disease that only affected white people and white people had it, and if they went out in public, it would kill all the black people, I would say, well, keep us at home until we fix this. Because I am not going to go out in public. Be careful, Justin. Be careful, Justin. Uh, people could say that white privilege is that disease, and then. Ah, uh, you got it. You got it. You got it. You know exactly where I am going, William. You nailed it 100%. William, my degree from FU says you are 100% correct. We're going to finish the paragraph. Beyond limiting the virus's flow from hotspots to the rest of the country, allowing only vaccinated people on domestic flights will change minds, too. Oh, that's exactly what William's just talking about. If we only allow vaccinated people on domestic flights, well, they'll believe the right thing and they'll give up their privilege of their individual rights and they'll suffer with the rest of us because it's for the collective good. See how they did that, William? See how if we combine Krugman's argument of this is about privilege and we combine this argument, we get that we're convincing people out of their privilege. 
the goal, William, has always been to create a two-class system. Those who are morally good and those who are morally bad. COVID is just the rationalization that is making the most headway. They have been able to divide us the easiest based upon the idea of you have privilege and you don't using fear of death because all of the other type of tactics they were using were too far removed. They were long-term term. Remember we started talking about long-term short term. Yeah. They have created the idea of short-term death from COVID to push through the social justice agenda. Right. And, and, and I they, were two- never, they were never able to do this with environmentalism because climate related deaths have been falling. Right. And, and, the, and so, the law, the, the effects they're talking about are long term. Exactly. Right? When they're saying, oh, it's 10 years down the line, then those 10 years came. They were always talking about the far future, which people are not, most people are not motivated by. If so, right. everyone would be investing and everyone would have a lot more money than they a lot have. More Bitcoin. <laughs> right. So you're, you know, you're exactly correct. Correct. This is the same social justice, equity that applies to environmentalism as well, but it hasn't worked because there was no short term fear. They got that with COVID. And there's two things about that. One, what is the easiest way to create totalitarianism? You create two classes. You say that's the bad class. This is the good class. The good class, follow us and you'll get what you want. Is that not what the Nazis did? Yeah, it's what every totalitarian regime does. It's what every religion does. They make us yes. and them. It, it, them. It, it, it is a re- fundamental requirement. And the them, the othering, is they are not just mistaken or made the wrong choices or uh, have the wrong data or need to be persuaded. They are evil. They are unclean, right? Right. It's the, they, they go into this they – t- they tap into that tribal nature that is in our – our you know evol- evolution tuned brain to make them evil not just wrong evil yeah no 100 percent, and that's been the history of the world but this specific social justice approach social justice approach to totalitarianism and communism this is a specifically new approach and i actually think i don't know if they've realized this yet somebody has to have realized this yet one of the problems with communism is the diminishing returns, the growing scarcity of goods. When you take out the productive class where you make it hard to produce and you're redistributing, you can't redistribute to everyone equally. So that creates an uprising eventually, right? As we saw in Poland with the solidarity movement, they had to rise up or they were all going to suffer. What if rather than you have the one ruling class who gets all the goods, right, such as the Stalin, what if you had your group of true believers and you deem and you say, well, they're the only ones who deserve the redistribution of the state because everybody else is bad? Would that not be a way to enact communism and be consistent with that kind of a system and Mm -hmm. make it actually work on some level? So if you take everyone else, you say, well, they're privileged and they won't give up their privilege. They're the bad people. So it's okay that they suffer and die because that's what they deserve. But over here, you are going to get more goods. And I would, again, argue that that's extremely similar to what Hitler was doing with Nazism. Yeah, I think so. It's an interesting, interesting parallel to think about. I'll have to think about it more. 
I would like everyone to think about that. I'll leave everyone with that thought this week. But that's kind of where I am. They're doing this on purpose to divide us and get control. But then also there's the 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 logistics. Everyone knows communism doesn't work because of a number of things. But the you know the the diminishing returns, the the growing scarcity of goods. If you solve that problem by saying, you know, we get to choose who's good and deserves the redistribution, and we are the arbiters of that, you can have that last a lot longer and you can keep people under your, your toes a lot longer. And it's sort of in the system already, but I don't think it was ever made explicit because, you know, Marx and other supporters of it have always written about equality and equity. So this would be a slight change to it, but I, I think that it's interesting to think about. All right. That's enough COVID talk for now. Let's talk about some movies and some art to round out this week's episode in The Hopeful Romantic with JML. If you would like to continue this conversation during the week, you can do so in our Discord channel. Uh, We have a lot of great conversation in there during the week. We've talked a lot about COVID, and I'd love to hear people share their thoughts about what I just said. Maybe I'm just acting like a high school intellectual and saying something that's obvious. Maybe I'm not. All I know is the shit I say keeps coming true. So you can uh, stroke my ego in there and tell me how, you know, all the predictions I say come true and that I'm awesome. Or you can tell me I'm wrong and tell me how I'm wrong so we can get our predictions even more correct. That's the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link and click on join our discord channel within the episode. For this week's review, I'd like to talk about the Suicide Squad by James Gunn just came out this week this is a quasi sequel to suicide squad by david ayer that came out in what did you what year did that come out william can you look that up 2016 i think okay i think my guess is yeah 2016 2016 you have not seen the suicide squad correct i have not Okay, well, it's available on HBO Max if anyone wants to see it. I would not spend... Oh, here we go. Chandler just said he had so much fun watching The Suicide Squad. I'm going to disappoint um, Chandler in the Discord. Uh, I am going to uh, disappoint all of you viewers out there. I would not spend money to see this movie. I'm sorry, I wouldn't. And the reason I would not spend money to see this movie is uh, the thematic content of it. Okay? So let's talk about... The, the spectacle side of it first, right? So we always talk about spectacle and catharsis here, and I am going to be adding more to this late, later. Uh, I'm actually trying to develop, uh, and I, this sounds so like James, if you remember our co-host James, when he's like, oh, you know, the uh, the inductive math he was developing, a philosophical system. I'm not trying to design a philosophical system. I'm trying to bring objective criticism back in. So uh, technically, when we're talking about the spectacle side of it, there was spectacle in this movie. There was some beautiful moments in this movie. Uh, there's one particular hallway scene with Harley Quinn where she's fighting. The choreography's awesome. Uh, James Gunn does a really interesting thing over it. And I don't... Uh, I'll say it. He does an animated thing over it. It's very beautiful. It looks very good. Uh, and in general, I will say that the acting 
is great. Specifically, Margot Robbie's great. John Cena's good. Idris Elba's great. Right? All of these actors are good. The performances are all great. I mean, I, I wouldn't knock that at all. So if you're a fan of any of those actors, I would not begrudge you seeing this movie. I would say, yo, go see it. Go see what they do. Uh, I enjoyed their performances. Uh, from a technical standpoint, I would say that there is, especially in the first two-thirds of the movie, a lot of expository dialogue where it's like, this is so-and-so, and this is what he did, and blah, blah, blah. The only character who gets like a visual backstory is Ratcatcher 2, and that plays in, the reason that's done is how that plays into the theme at the end of the movie. If you think about rats, and this is a movie about villains, um, and I am going to tell you that. I am going to hit the, hit the spoiler drop. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Right. So I am going to spoil this movie for you. So oh, uh, Gunn also has moments of drama and moments of comedy that don't always work well together. Sort of that Marvel formula. Uh, the best way I would describe this movie is a Marvel movie meets a trauma movie. If anyone remembers trauma, they did movies back in the day, like toxic Avenger, like these really gross over the top movies. So it sort of has that side of James Gunn where he started his career, but then it has the Marvel side of it and it sort of marries those two. And it didn't always work for me. It sounds disjointed the way you describe it. There, there is elements of disjointedness to it. There are times where you're like, why, what is going on? And there were times where I didn't enjoy it very much, but there was also a line early on that, sort of upset me. So I'm going to break down uh, the catharsis side of it, what the catharsis James Gunn was going for was, and why I find that catharsis to be a bad thing. So the premise of this movie is villains are enlisted by the U.S. government to solve problems for the U.S. government. And if they don't, a bomb in their head is blown up. So they're sent to an island to uh, go after the secret research that's being done over a project that's rumored to have involved aliens. And they go there, and the team consists of... Uh, the main players in the team are Flag, who's... He's not a villain, but he is the... U.S. you know he's the U.S. military guy who's leading the team he's there to make sure you know even beyond the head blowing up because that's done from afar right Amanda Waller back in headquarters blows up their head but they need someone there uh Bloodsport who is an expert march marksman and can turn anything into a weapon and he's Idris Elba uh Margot Robbie Har Harley Quinn Ratcatcher 2 Ratcatcher 2's power is she learned from her dad, Ratcatcher 1, before the dad died of a heroin overdose. That plays into the end. She learned from him how to control all the rats. So any rats that are around, she can control. So that's her superpower. And then um, John Cena playing Peacemaker. Peacemaker is the character that the comedian in Watchmen was based upon. And that comes into play here, right? Because if you remember the comedian from Watchmen, he was sort of the U.S. government's secret weapon. He's the one who killed JFK, to give you an example. And that, that comes into, in, into play here. So Peacemaker's superpower is also that he can turn anything into a weapon. So essentially, John Cena and Idris Elba have the same superpower. This is even alluded to when they introduce both of them. 
they introduce him. Amanda Waller explains them in her expository dialogue exactly the same way. And then that is a lantern is hung on it and it's pointed out. That is done intentionally. Now, something else I might say and get you to think about is, what is the difference between John Cena and Idris Elba? Okay, now that you've thought about that, as they go on the island and they go through the jungle, there's a big scene where John Cena and Idris Elba, Peacemaker and Bloodsport, have a competition to see who can kill people the best ways in the coolest and creative ways. It Look, it's a funny, fun scene. You know, when Chandler and others say that they enjoyed it, that's, a, that, that's why they enjoyed it. That scene, is, it's well shot. And it, it's, it's, it's amusing. Now, contextually, that, that scene is then phrased, uh, framed as these guys accidentally killed all the freedom fighters on the island. And then soon thereabout, Idris Elba links, sorry, links, he says to Peacemaker, and I'm paraphrasing here, I think you just use liberty as an excuse to do whatever you want. William, does that not sound like the Paul Krugman's white privilege argument? Yeah, it does. It's a very similar argument, isn't it? Okay, it's a very similar argument, right? Now, this is where we get into what makes this movie so insidious. Fast forward, they get into the the stronghold. All the characters I said are still alive and remaining. There's a bunch of other people who die. I don't want to go into it. Um, And Flag finds out that the U.S. government actually discovered this alien. And what this alien can do is mind control people and use them for its ends. So the U.S. government was trying to develop this. And they were using the regime on this island to help develop this alien and use this other guy named the Thinker to do the research, an American citizen. But there was a coup on the island And a new group took it over. So the suicide squad had to be sent in. Not to stop the new regime, but to get the information that made the U.S. government complicit in it and revealed their complicitness in it. So what happens is, even though Bloodsport and everyone were told that it was about stopping the experiment, Peacemaker was shown or Peacemaker was told that he was the one who had to stop the information from getting out. And Flag has a change of heart. He finds out about the information, and then he gets the drive with the information on it because there's your MacGuffin, right? You have to make it a physical item. And after he gets that drive, after he gets that drive, that's when Peacemaker turns. And Peacemaker kills Flag and takes the drive. And says, you know, whatever it takes to protect my country. So now they've linked. Now James Gunn has linked nationalism with liberty, with liberty as privilege. Is that not how the left sees William Trump supporters? Yes. Yeah. And I I mean, I would argue those are connected. Right. And I would argue Trump supporters, a lot of them are nationalists. But that's also, as we saw with the Krugman article, anyone who says anything pro-freedom or pro-choice in this instance is on the right. Yes. It's the same thing here. So they've taken Peacemaker, who was a character 
who was the traditional American hero, and they've made him into the biggest villain in the entire movie. He's a bigger villain than the alien threat. And who do you think ultimately kills Peacemaker? Idris Elba's character. So again, think about that subtext for a minute. Now, that's the end of, I don't know, the second, third act, sort of like Batman versus Superman. That's the sort of the ideological battle that ends, right? Then the alien threat gets out and, you know, the Suicide Squad has to decide, are we going to stop this alien threat or not? And Ratcatcher 2 and Harley Quinn and uh, Idris Elba's character Bloodsport stop the alien threat. But the way they do it is the extra whammy, the extra punch in here, right? The extra punch is they look like they're going to lose until Ratcatcher gets all the rats together in the whole island to overwhelm this kaiju, giant monster. And there's a flashback to her dad. And her dad says the thing about rats is even though they're disgusting and deplorable, everybody has a purpose. So now we've devolved into, William, moral relativism, or you could even argue nihilism, but I'll just say moral relativism. The idea that everyone is morally equal. So rather than having a story about redeeming these villains and showing how villains can be good again, the whole point of the movie is, well, everyone has a purpose, everyone's good. That's what matters. And then we also have this entire anti-American, and when I say American, I mean traditional American values of liberty and freedom screed done in a way that is i would say sort of uneven there's 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 a lot of good stuff in this movie but there's not enough good stuff to justify saying hey this is great there's also you know watchman parallels now again watchman is sending up these kind of movies but that's sort of why this is like a step back for me Mm -hmm. we've already had you know snyder talking about this I mean, think about the end of Snyder's Watchmen. You haven't idealized humanity. You've deformed it. That's the real practical joke. Isn't that what you're doing when you're taking the character who's about liberty and you're making him the biggest villain? The character who's the traditional American hero? John Cena. I mean, that's, that's why John Cena it has been so popular in wrestling. You had Hulk. I am a real American. And then you had John Cena, who was the American hero. And he was the American hero for the new generation, for the millennials, for us. And you take him and you make him the biggest villain. And then you make it all about how rats are good or at least not bad. You know, you can't see things as good or bad. Isn't that mutilating, deforming humanity? Yeah. So we've already had movies critiquing this and rather than listening to the critique we're doubling down and going backwards to those type of movies and i I do agree that's part of the unevenness of it i'm I'm agreeing with what chandler said in the chat the in discord he said there's an interesting scene where harley quinn winced at being told she was a good anti-american tool there was really interesting subtext with harley quinn i will agree harley quinn was my favorite part of the movie uh, she had a romance with the new dictator and she realized he was toxic. So she killed him a huge callback to Joker, a huge callback to birds of prey. And then that scene where she escaped was awesome. I agree. And again, this is part of the movie being uneven. Uh, 
Now, again, Chandler, if they had removed the liberty elements of John Cena's character, and I'll say this to you too, William, and he had just been a nationalistic character, and he would have been like, I have to protect America no matter what. And, you know, Flag had been and said, but this isn't helping anyone be free. We have to protect freedom everywhere. We have to protect liberty everywhere. This The government's trying to control people. That would have changed the movie completely. But the fact that it was linked to liberty is a problem. Do you see what I'm saying, William? Yeah. Yeah. By, by connecting them, you're, you're committing you're kind of making an anti-concept and a straw man all in one, right? Yes. Yes. And to me, that undermines the quality of the movie. So, so I, so William, I've basically, I've communicated myself clearly here, right? About the problems with this movie. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. I will not give this movie the worst rating. I cannot ethically give it the worst rating. I can't give it a just no. Because as I've already said, all the good things I listed about it, right? The performances, right? The technical ability of a lot of this stuff, the spectacle that's done. And he, I, I believe that James Gunn did execute what he was trying to execute. And I, I would say that it's not perfectly clear, but something I think is important in movies is clarity. You're going to start hearing that word a lot. And I do think there's clarity in this movie. So I can't ethically give this a, just a zero or a terrible rating it's not the worst movie i've ever seen does it deserve 97 percent on rotten tomatoes no it doesn't think about what batman versus superman is rated think about what man of steel is rated and then what this movie is rated it's it, it doesn't make sense now i always have an issue how much do i knock it down for the catharsis part of it because this is not providing any rational or ethical or healthy catharsis. So what do you knock that down for? To me, because of that, and because of the the trauma elements of this, T-R-O-M-A, the trauma films elements, and the the sort of unevenness of it, I knock this all the way down to a no-bro. So this is, I would say this is a below-average movie that people are dressing up, and I think critics are dressing up because anything that has this anti-American and sort of almost naturalistic approach to it. And it's it's also on the edge there, right? Because we have people making choices, right? We have John Cena's choice, Peacemaker's choice. We have Bloodsport's choice. We have Ratcatcher's choice, right? But then it also has that element of, like, we're all terrible. So it's on the edge there, too, which is why I can't give it a terrible rating. It's right on the edge there of no bro and bro. I wouldn't recommend this movie, but I think there are reasons to see it and I did see it, and I can't say like it was the worst experience ever, although it did it did cause me some emotional pain and not the way I was supposed to feel it with the, the linking of the words liberty. I mean, the last thing I will say about this movie, William, is I literally I leaned over to Christine and I was like, I feel like Peacemaker was designed to like personally attack me. And I've never like felt that with a movie before. But it's sort of like that's the kind of character I love. Mm-hmm. And James Gunn, now again, He is what the comedian is based on. So there are elements of this in the villain already, but he chose to do this specific theme in this movie. Okay. Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out. And we, I think we got one series trailer in here as always. They're in the discord channel. These trailers, uh, you can watch them before the show, after the show or during the show trailer takedown. 
first trailer. Why the Last Man is an FX original show based on the graphic novel Why the Last Man that I've been waiting for forever. This was originally supposed to be a series of movies starring Shia LaBeouf. Uh, in this show, all the men are killed on the planet in a plague. You know, maybe that's a plague. Maybe they should have locked all the men at home, or maybe we all should have stayed at home. I don't know. That's a legitimate plague, though. Uh, all the men are killed except for Yorick, a young man in America, and his pet monkey, Ampersand. Uh, I won't spoil why they survived. That was revealed in the graphic novel. I don't know what they're going to do in the series. I think this premise is great. I think it's a really interesting premise. I really enjoyed the book. However, this trailer, it just looked generic. They took what is has so much potential, and they did nothing visually interesting about this. Also, I know people are trying to cancel this, calling this a transphobic show, which is hilarious. <laughs> wait, wait, which, which, which trans? Is it transphobic because they killed trans people, or because they didn't kill trans people? Because they didn't. Because uh, well, they're not even acknowledging trans people because it's killing all the men. So they're saying, well, what about like people who transition to men? Do they die? You know, they they're really men. Even they're though it's really killing men. the Y chromosome. Yeah, they, they, they don't have a Y chromosome. Right. But that's oh why they're saying, God. why the last man? So it should be like only killing the Y chromosome or something. It's a ridiculous argument. But the conversation around this is going to be hilarious. Um, I don't know if I'm going to give this a chance. I'm really on the fence about this because it, just, it does not look visually interesting. Even the guy who plays Yorick, I'm just like, okay. But again, the guy who plays Yorick is supposed to be an everyman. So, I don't know. Let's let I'm going to give this... A Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Ooh, sorry, delay there. Um, I so I, I understand and also uh, share your concerns with the visual aspect. Uh, I am not familiar with the graphic novel, so this looks interesting to me as a sci-fi premise. Although when I first started watching it, I was like, haven't we done this before? Wasn't there that comedy uh, where there was one dude in Vegas, right? It's sort of a zombie apocalypse thing. Was that a TV show or a movie? Why can't I remember what that is? Um, and so it, it, it looks interesting. There's a lot of consequences that happen when you, when you, you know, good sci-fi. It's like you change one thing in the world and see what happens and see you know, see what interesting scenarios people can start making challenging choices in and showing, uncovering truths about humanity through that. So there's an opportunity in a story like this to do that, to talk about what masculinity is by killing all men. You're challenging women to take on the things that are naturally masculine on their own. And it, it, that would be interesting to see how they represent that and what they sort of explore in that in that area. So uh, I, I guess the visual elements are an issue, and I worry about the storytelling, um, sort of the quality of, a, of any sort of adapta adaptation with today's social justice uh, writer's room. So I'm wor worried about that aspect of it. So maybe I see this... TV series and draw the wrong conclusions about the graphic novel. But I would actually enjoy watching this. 
So after I get done watching C, I would watch this. So, hug. Hug. Second trailer. Kate is a Netflix original action movie starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead. In it, she's poisoned and has only 24 hours to live and goes on a killing spree to exact revenge. Yes, it sounds a lot like John Wick. Uh, as I was watching this trailer, I thought this looks a lot like Atomic Blonde visually. And then it said from one of the producers of Atomic Blonde. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead looks super badass in this movie. Uh, I mean, she was great in Scott Pilgrim. She was great in Live Free and Die, Die Hard. And you kind of see, hey, maybe that's why they cast her, because she sort of she sort of looks kind of Bruce Willisy in this movie. And I don't mean like physically. I just mean like the way she's acting, how badass she is. Uh, she was great in Birds of Prey as an action star. You wouldn't look at her and think like, hey, she's an action star, right? But she pulls it off, and she looks great in this trailer. Like, this looks like a, a badass action movie. It looks like, it's just like John Wick. Like, when I first heard of John Wick, I was like, that's it? And it's Keanu Reeves? That looks dumb. And then I saw it, and I was like, this is a badass movie. And because of that, I'm warmer to this type of movie. And with it being Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I'm excited. I think this is going to be great. I want to see it. This is a movie I wish Netflix would release in theaters because I think it would be more fun in theaters. But I'll watch it on Netflix. Hug. Hug. Um. Yeah, I. I didn't. I, this has things that you would think I would immediately just be like, "Yep, guns, hug." Uh, I don't know. I don't. I can't put my finger on what part of it uh, visually was seemed muddled to me, but I, I I'm a little hesitant on this one, so I'm gonna give it a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Third trailer. Cop Shop stars Gerard Butler and Frank Grillo. In it, a convict breaks into a prison for safety because an assassin is after him and Gerard Butler is the cop inside that prison. That's an interesting setup for me. I don't think this movie looks particularly like amazing or anything, but I also didn't think, uh, what was that Jason Statham movie movie recently? I forget it. The one where I can't remember the movie, the name Oh, wrath of man. I didn't think wrath of man looked particularly like it was going to be anything amazing and it was a pretty good movie i think sort of these type of action movies are underappreciated right now in our culture because they're smaller and they're more understated and we're so big with the the action blockbusters where you know i just watched infinity and there's so many just like car crashes and explosions because you know we we want all these world beater movies right now everything's threatening the universe threatening the world but this movie is just sort of like, here's three crazy violent people, because, you know, the assassin obviously shows up. You have to have that. Here's the hitman. There, here's three crazy violent people. What's going to happen? How is this going to be resolved? Uh, it really, honestly, it depends on what else is in theaters. You know, this says it comes out September 17th. It depends what else is out at the time. If there's not other stuff, I'll see this. If there is, then I won't see this. It's not high on my list, but... I like to go to the movies every week. I think it's fun, and this is one I would see if I had no other opportunity. So I think this is also on Netflix and Hug. Netflix and Hug. Yeah, this trailer didn't leave me with an impression that I need to run out and see this movie. Um, it's got some it's got some interesting 
um, action sort of teases. Uh, I think the a little bit, a little bit cartoony with some of the action sequences, at least from the preview. Maybe that's uh, not the final visuals that will be in the film. Uh, that being said, hey, this looks like a fun. Grab some popcorn and let's uh, watch an action movie in the summer. Uh, I think that I would, I would, I would go see this. Hug. Final trailer. Together is a dramedy. I said dramedy. I guess it's a dramedy. I don't know. Starring James McAvoy. In it, a lockdown. They don't say why there's a lockdown, but there is. He's locked down. A lockdown causes him to stay inside with his family, and it focuses on his relationship with his wife. And they both seem to hate each other, but then they're realizing that they don't really hate each other. They love each other. I don't know. To me, this is exactly the kind of movie because it's it, uh, it's definitely a European movie because of their accents and they're using their natural accents. It's exactly the kind of movie you would expect to come out of the the pandemic, especially the come out of Europe in the pandemic. You know, how about, you know, we need people, even though we all hate people. Yeah. That's sort of, I think, where our culture is at right now. Oh, even though we're social animals, we all hate each other because we're all in each other's way. It's just, I, I've been suffering through this for the past year, year and a half. Why do I need to see this movie again? Right. And I say again, because this is the movie we're watching every day of our lives. Why do we need to see, why do I need to see into other people's miserable houses? I wasn't miserable. Was I ideal? No, I'm not miserable now, but other people have been talking about how miserable I am. Why do I need to look into their house to see how miserable they are and how miserable their marriage is? I don't. Tackle. Tackle. I think I giggled at one joke, but not for the uh, intent of the joke. Um, yeah, this looks, this looks very, very boring. I think I can safely... What did we learn this trip, William? I learned that masks and vaccine mandates are the new TSA. Justin, what did you learn this week? Hmm. I learned about the insane similarities rhetorically between totalitarian regimes of the past and the way our culture is headed in a very real and immediate way. Mm. I want to thank everyone for listening. Like I always say, if it wasn't for you, this would just be me yelling into my closet surrounded by clothes. Appreciate that. If you want to support the show, you can do so in a number of ways. You can go to themidside.com slash store and pick up any sort of t-shirts or anything there. You can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per month. Or, scratch that. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. You can also tell a friend. I feel like there was another way that I forgot, but I'm kind of running <laughs> out of energy here. I'm running out of energy here. It's getting late in the evening in there on the East Coast. We got, get, we got a bunch of daylight left I got work to tomorrow. <laughs> So let's get William out under the waves. You all go out, tell a friend. William's going to out, go out and get on the waves. How about that? All right. I'll That's what I think. Out there. Yeah. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlinski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a theater free day. Stay back, relax, just
So, William, I just want to uh, say a brief bit about Chandler said Justin is right, but I still had fun. Anyone who's still <laughs> listening, yeah. Like, great. I mean, if you can accept the ideas in that and still have fun, great. I don't begrudge anyone that. And I'm not telling anyone what to enjoy and what not to enjoy. I'm just trying to objectively talk about the quality of movies because we all have to select what we want to see and what we, we don't want to see. Yeah. I, I always bring up the Donnie Darko example, right? I, I hate the theme of Donnie Darko, but for some reason I can really enjoy that movie. Um, and that's okay. And I don't begrudge anyone that. Enjoy what you enjoy. Exactly.